When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Tender Bar. Your grandfather is a selfish old prick who resents taking care of his family. And yet, you all end up back here at my house. Welcome. Your only uncle. So I'm also your favorite uncle. Right? Maybe. <laughs> I have no idea how, but you are going to law school. So you can sue your father for child support. No, so he can help with your fines about the septic tank. No, here we go. Hey, whose kid is that? My sister. Which sister? The hot one or the crazy one? What, you gonna die? <laughs> okay, two rules. I'm never gonna let you win. And I'm gonna always tell you the truth. Your father is deadbeat. I'll take care of you. Teach the male sciences. I saw you in the yard playing sports. You're not very good. Now find some other activities. I like to read. You read enough of those? Maybe. You could become a writer. One more thing, very important. Never hit a woman, even if she stabs you with scissors. Got it. See me and Julio down by the schoolyard. We got an announcement. Today, my nephew is officially a man. <laughs> it is a great pleasure to offer you a place in the Yale class of 1986. Hey, I'm JR. Sydney, you're in my class. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm on my way. So what do you want to be, JR? I'm going to be a writer. Well, what's your main theme? The absent father. Poor boy who wants a rich girl. She doesn't love you. What you do next is going to be important. Would you go and stare up at the building in the rain? Baby! No. Well, I'm on my way. What are you gonna do without the bad guy in your life? In life, you gotta have it. If you don't have it, you never get it. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Tender Bar, and the story is as follows. In 1972, nine-year-old J.R. McGuire moves into his grandfather's house in Long Island, New York. Searching for a father figure, he falls under the unconventional tutelage of his uncle Charlie, a charismatic self-educated bartender who introduces him to a handful of the bar's colorful regulars. As the years pass and J.R. grows into a young man, he tries to fulfill his dreams of becoming a writer. The film is starring Ben Affleck, Ty Sheridan, Lily Rabe, 
Christopher Lloyd, and Daniel Renieri. It is directed by George Clooney, written by William Monahan, and here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Baer. Well, Scotch, really? <laughs> uh, well, the tender bar. It's funny, I seem to recall being here almost a year ago, a little over a year ago, talking about George Clooney's last film, The Midnight Sky, with you all. And this is a much, much, much different type of movie from him. (laughs) And I remember with The Midnight Sky complaining that it was too big, it was trying to do too much, and it ultimately fell apart. So in a way, The Tender Bar should, for me, be exactly the response to that movie that I want. It's more self-contained, simpler, focuses on characters, writing. There's really not a way that you can mess this up. Am I right? Mm, Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that the tender bar is exactly bad. I would just say that it's very unmemorable. Uh, We'll get into specifics as to why here. Uh, This is ultimately based on a memoir and tells about, you know, the struggles of growing up in poverty in Long Island, uh, told in two different uh, time frames here, one from the perspective of JR as a child and the other as a young man graduating from school, trying to get a job in the real world. And it's as simple as that. There's really not much else ultimately going on here. I understand the reasons as to why this was made. I've listened to some interviews from the filmmakers and from the cast talking about, you know, the type of vibe that they were trying to give off with this, messages about family, not really having an impact in terms of like where necessarily you come from. It's all about more so the impact you make on the world itself around you. Like, I I understand the intentions here. You know, did the movie fulfill those intentions and live up to them? We'll get into that here in just a bit. The Tender Bar, now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Josh Parham, what did you think of it? Uh, Well, my thoughts of it are summed up in a word that you already used, Matt, which is um, unmemorable. (laughs) And this movie is just really, like, very plainly stated and kind of unremarkable in every sense, I felt. And... I agree that it's not like a bad movie, like it is competently made, but I just found myself really struggling to care about the plight of all of these characters. It feels like it inhabits a very familiar kind of setting with this sort of coming of age story, even this time period as a coming of age story. And I never found that it really went into any areas of nuance or complexity with its storytelling, even in its rather conventional trappings. And it just felt like a movie that had no like life and momentum to it. It just sort of was, it just sort of laid on the screen and didn't really engage me all that much. So there's like some enduring performances here. I will give it that. And I do think that that is a skill of George Clooney that as a director, he does deserve some credit for, but Overall, it was just a movie that really left me unfazed, and when it was over with, it was just sort of disappearing from my mind. So, not a terrible movie, but a very unremarkable one. Okay. Dan Bear, what did you think? Uh, It feels like there's very little to think about this movie. It's just a kind of a big, fat nothing. It's fine. There's not really anything that's bad 
bad, like actively bad about it, but there's very little that's like actively good about it. And I'd say that that begins and ends with um, Ben Affleck and Lily Rabe and everything else is just kind of there. It's fine. It gets from point A to point B, but it's such a generic story. It feels like whatever was specific or interesting about the memoir or its author's life has been completely ironed out in the translation to film. And that is probably intentional, but also makes this movie just like really kind of, it feels like a rehash of so many other types of coming of age stories that it felt really difficult to get engaged with the storytelling. I kept wondering to myself while watching it, like what is the ultimate takeaway here? Because what it was presenting was so formulaic and so basic that I kept wondering, there has to be more to it. There has to be something else, right? And even Affleck's performance, which I actually am a pretty big fan of here, I really think that the second half of this movie suffers greatly from his lack of screen time compared to the first half. Even he does not have a certain register that he hits in a particular scene that would scream, oh, wow, like give him the Oscar. It's a good performance. I don't know if it's one of his great performances necessarily. And that's like kind of the thing with George Clooney's direction in this and the way that he tells the story throughout. It's lacking a certain certain spark to it. It's lacking some uh, panache. You know, it's all very grounded and presented in a manner that, quite frankly, this could have been directed by anybody, literally anybody. And... Once again, while I kind of do appreciate that honed-in character-based storytelling uh, versus, like, what we got previously with, like I said, The Midnight Sky and a few of his other films, like Suburbicon, which I thought was a complete misfire, The Monuments Men, which I thought was trying to do too much and ended up doing very little in the end, he hasn't had a really good directed film since The Eyes of March back in 2011. And I really felt that this was getting close at points, but to Josh's point, it never had a certain level of complexity in any of its ideas that it was presenting. It was something that, quite frankly, I could show to mom and dad, my grandparents, and they might enjoy it, but this might even bore them, which I <laughs> I was like, wow, like I can't believe that you made a movie that's for that demographic and they might even walk away from it going that was it yeah and like yeah. for me it's not even necessarily that it has some conventions to it because i think you can have a really good story that exists within some familiar trappings but you then have to do the extra work of making the characters and the storytelling the engaging part and I don't think that this movie has any of that. These are all like very standard characters that we've seen before with very familiar motivations. And some of them don't even feel like they have like real arcs to them. Like the, mm -hmm. the Uncle Charlie character, I kept sort of waiting for there to be like a really big monumental scene towards the end of the movie with Same. him. And yeah. it doesn't really have that. And I feel like there's that 
missing element for almost every important character in this yeah. movie. So we just get these collection of scenes that sort of just fizzle away. And it's like, there's no momentum built within the actual structure of this story. And it, I think that is what really contributes to this hollowness that I feel with this movie at the end of the day. It's like, that's the reason why I don't feel anything. I mean, the movie kind of sets up two little Chekhov's guns one with grandpa's um, dementia, kind of, that is sort of mentioned at the start of the movie and then literally never touched on ever again. And when Uncle Charlie shows JR the like the closet full of books and he's like, read all of these. Well, he does. We never get a scene where he finishes them. Or when you like with all the piles that you know, and he says to Uncle Troy, "I've read all all your books." Well, it, well, it's implied though. But like that, that I'm saying, like there are things that could have been through lines in this movie that are introduced and then abandoned, and so that there's not really the only through line is, I guess, his relationship to his father. Well, yeah, that definitely is the through line throughout the entire movie, and for sure. So just. Ugh, uninteresting. You know, I actually did find the second, the first half of this movie more interesting than the second half, primarily oh, yeah. because it's a young child with an absent father, this cool uncle, and a single working mom who is really struggling to try and give him a better life. And there is an interesting story there, as Josh was saying before, even despite these familiar trappings. Um, and so I was willing to go along the ride with it, not to mention, uh, you know, personal connection. I grew up on Long Island in the suburbs where this story takes place, albeit not in the 1970s, but, you know, still. So there were some elements to this in terms of uh, depicting the locals, uh, just the overall location itself that I was really warming up to while watching this. And then when the story switches over to the perspective of older JR played by Ty Sheridan, who I've gone on record before of saying I really don't think he's the most charismatic, greatest actor working today necessarily. <laughs> I thought that he was adequate in this. Like it's no mud, but I thought that he was perfectly okay here and he wasn't embarrassing or anything like that, but I was really, really, really disengaged on this hang up that he has with this you know this woman who he has a fling with and then he's like falling in love and she clearly doesn't love him and the movie dwells on this no pun intended since oh, that's God. a joke in the movie <laughs> oh, but it really really hangs on this plot thread for in my opinion way too long and like i don't blame you because that actress is fantastic oh yeah no what's her she um plays sydney She's great. Brianna Middleton. That's Brianna her name. Brianna Middleton, yes. So Brianna Middleton is fantastic in the role. And she has this face that, like, pulls you in. You know, you want to get to know her just like JR does. And they even have good chemistry. I like the two of them together. But, <laughs> again, and, you know, it's sort of hard, I guess, because this was his life. So you can't stray too far. But... For that to be such a major plot point that goes absolutely nowhere, it's really frustrating to watch. Yeah, absolutely nowhere. <laughs> well, it's interesting, right? Because it's about a character who is trying to find some level of self-respect 
for himself. And I think it is tied also to, obviously, the issues that he's gone through with his father and how him standing up to his father at the end of the movie is also, in a way, him also standing up for himself in this relationship that he's not involved in, but he really needs to move on from. And he can't be, you know, waiting around for her, hoping that one day she's going to just call him out of the blue and take him back. Mm. Um, So I do think that this is all, like, one man's quest to just find self-respect and be able to take a stand realistically for who he is, what he believes in, and ultimately what he wants to do to break free of the life that he's been brought up in. And this is like, once again, like all pretty relatable, captivating stuff. Like, I think that's the thing about it that made me a little bit softer on the movie overall instead of like hypercritical is that this was a journey that I felt like I could really relate to because it wasn't, it's what it didn't feel unbelievable. It felt like normal everyday struggles that, we as people have either gone through or at least we've seen others go through and does not feel fantastical in any way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't feel fantastical, but it also to me never felt that interesting either because it was just so standard. Like, I mean, I would say, Matt, that yes, we have experienced this before because we've seen a movie before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sure. I have seen this play out so many times before. And like I said initially, that's fine if you want to do that, but then there are ways to explore that with a little bit more nuance, and I don't think this movie ever takes that opportunity to do so. And that relationship that he has with her, to me, it one, just goes nowhere. And she is also a character that is inherently incredibly fascinating in terms of mm-hmm. her position of privilege, the fact that she's this young black woman in this, you know, <laughs> in, in this area that might, you could maybe explore some different ideas with that, but the movie just has no interest in it. It just zeroes in on the very basic premise that we're very familiar with, with this kind of setup, and then doesn't even uh, drive it to an interesting conclusion. And I find that is persistent with nearly every single relationship that is explored in this film. Yeah, everything just feels underexplored, even his relationship with his father. It's yeah. a lot of other people telling him how he's feeling about his father, but we don't get any of that from him himself. And that feels a little just. I had trouble buying into the end because how he felt about his father was so, I guess, muddled up until that point. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because he's constantly always, like like his relationship with Sydney, he's hoping that one day these relationships will just fix themselves. Is he, though? I think so, because he attempts to always reconnect with his father and keeps giving him chances to be that person, even though his father keeps on continuing to fail time and time and time again. And he just continuously disappoints him. But does he like it feels like every time he does see his father, he's not the one who actually initiates it. Right. Either the father calls him or sets something up or in the case of like that last issue. But he has every right to turn him down. He has every right to say no. Yeah. But he doesn't. I I guess my issue is that and maybe this is part of the point, but like the character is so passive. Sure. I get that. Yeah. It's very hard to feel connected to passive characters unless they're either played 
by someone super charismatic or that has a really interesting take on this character's personality or if that person we actually see them struggling with their passivity and i got none i got neither of those things from Mm -hmm. this movie no i i i get where you're coming from with that and i i do agree I do agree because like I was saying earlier, well, I don't think that Ty Sheridan is giving like a bad performance in this. It's not great. I don't yeah. think that he is able to adequately like carry that second half and give it the life that Ben Affleck is able to do in that first half. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Ben, whenever he's on screen, I really think that he is such a warm, magnetic and charismatic uh, presence in this. Uh, it almost reminds me at times of like Mahershala and Moonlight where his absence is really sorely missed in the second half of this movie. He pops in here and there, but every time that he was on screen, that's like when the movie felt like it had some energy to it because of everything that Affleck was giving to that character. I I don't know. I don't even know that Affleck is really giving it anything more than just himself. I feel like it's almost more a triumph of casting than it is of actual performance. Like, again, like, he, he's good. Don't get me wrong. But, it feels like it's just coasting on being Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah, he even gets to say that the Yankees suck at one point, so you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Which, that was, it was really hard for me to watch Ben Affleck on screen and go, this is in Long Island? <laughs> New York? You know, you know he's a Mets fan in this case. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like, oh, can you take me to a Mets or a Yankees game? And he says, Uncle Charlie says the Yankees are assholes. <laughs> yeah, uh, like he's he's not, I would say, giving a fantastic performance. But for what that character needs to be, I think he's actually mm-hmm. pretty effortless at giving yeah. us that very effective charm that really doesn't need to take center stage. It is more of a background player, but you can get a sense of why a kid especially would be so enamored with somebody like that. And I do think that that is a good skill that he has just as a natural performer. And it, it serves the role. Well, it's not like amazing work, but for what is needed for this type of performance, I think he actually does do a pretty good job at that. Hey, you know what? I actually like the kid. Daniel Ranieri, I I really thought that I had overheard in an interview that the way that he got the role was George Clooney saw a viral video of him cursing, I think it was, (laughs) and he cast him based on that alone. Wow. So this is the kid's first acting gig. And I thought that he held himself pretty well in a lot of these scenes and I was really caught off by, you know, it's maybe not an effortless performance like the way Woody Norman gives in, say, Come On, Come On. But there was still something about watching him in that first half where I was interested in everything that he was doing as as just because because honestly, the kid is growing up in such a unique environment. Mm-hmm. And to see it all play out on his face and how he talks like an adult sometimes to other characters. There's even the scene where he talks to his adult self and he's like cursing and everything, calling him like a fuck up and everything <laughs> like that. And I just was like, yeah, this kid, this kid is awesome. <laughs> I will say that like the my only thing with his with that performance is that I did not buy him as a young Ty Sheridan. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but he again, like he is doing he is giving that role everything he's got. He's 
he's he's good. Yeah, he, he's like a cute little kid. Although the other thing about him is that he looks like literally like every other young white kid actor, just oh, like yeah. molded into one. That's what his face looks like to me. It, it has <laughs> like a very generic look to him. But in terms of what he's giving in the movie, like it, I would also say like, yeah, he's he's fine and cute. It's not amazing, but it serves the part well enough. I really wish that Christopher Lloyd was given more to do than just be, you know, the yeah. old farting grandpa. Like, I just... Yeah, I wish he had an arc. Like, he had yes. actual, like, a resolution to what he maybe would mean to this character and impart some Nothing. sort of impact. And it just felt like we have Christopher Lloyd. Uh, you're a curmudgeon grandfather, but nothing else apart from that. And it's like, no, I haven't seen Christopher Lloyd in so long. Give him something actual to Wait, do. you didn't see... Uh, Josh, you didn't see nobody earlier this year? No. No, I did not. I did not. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm totally serious. See nobody just for Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> Honestly. It's on the watch list. It is. <laughs> it's a fun watch. It's a fun watch. More fun than this. Um, but th- he does have that one scene where he goes uh, with JR to school as like his stand in uh, father figure type. He gets all dressed up and everything. That was such a great scene. Even the build up to it was great. It was endearing. Yeah, it's so nice to see Christopher Lloyd again, just in general. And that scene was very, very charming. And the first half of the movie, I feel like, is full of those kinds of like little charming slice-of-life scenes. And and then as soon as it switches to him being adult and like the plot actually kicks in, I'm just like, I lose all interest. I mean, what was up with the priest sitting across from him on the train? And like, I, I still don't really know even what they were fully talking about, honestly. Life, man. And that's another one of those scenes where it feels like there should be a payoff to this. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. And mm-hmm. it just, they, there are so many moments in this movie where it's like setting up something down the road mm-hmm. and then it just never returns to it. And yep. it happens so often and it's so frustrating to get engaged with this story when it feels like it's setting you up f- uh, for this impact and it just never arrives. I mean, like he also has the arc where he's applying for the job at the New York Times. They tell him that he's a really great writer. He turns in these pieces. Then he doesn't ultimately get the permanent news reporter position. And his response to it is just a very polite and professional thank you. And he walks out of there and then we cut to Ben Affleck in the hospital. So we don't even really like, in my opinion, get like a satisfactory arc to that. And like, what was the great lesson and the big takeaway that he learned from that whole experience? Like, mm-hmm. I, I just, <sighs> well, there's a the whole thing about him, like him never feeling like he, that he's good enough. Right. And even that doesn't really like, I didn't, leave the movie feeling that he there was any sort of resolution to that character arc which would seem to be like the thing that is holding him back from being a great writer and then also i'm so glad that you mentioned ben affleck in the hospital because we all of a sudden randomly get him in the hospital looking rather sick with no context no and never mentioned again and it should be like this it feel like it should be this big emotional scene and it's just not. Yeah, that feels like it should be the point of the movie. Like, yeah. the whole point of their relationship should be in this moment, but it's like just the most basic life lesson he could throw at him. And then he's just out the hospital like, ah, it was nothing. Yeah. What was this for then? Yeah, he gives him the car and then he hits the road and he's off. And Uncle Charlie is still hanging out with the bar patrons and life goes on. It's like just so 
odd of a movie to tell. <laughs> it really does feel like that Alfred Hitchcock saying, you know, of film is life with the boring bits cut out, where this movie feels like the opposite of that. Yeah. It's like in our attempts to show life, we're going to leave all of the mundane stuff in here with very little conflict and very little drama. Which you could do, but... Like, you still need interesting characters. And I yeah. that is a fault of both the writing and the directing for me. And you can really plot this, especially with Clooney's filmography. It just seems like he's somebody that doesn't really know not just what kind of filmmaker he wants to be, but what kind of storyteller he wants to be. Like, what yes. is he actually interested in exploring? And I think that explains his very chaotic filmography up until this point. And this really just feels like the most bland mundane effort that he has put forth to be honest i really think that he suffers from a lack of vision and you don't get a sense of that in like the midnight sky i remember watching that and thinking to myself this is trying to do at least seven different things right now whereas you know his his two best movies good night and good luck and the eyes of march are laser focused on what they want to present. Yeah, I feel like he's a filmmaker who just thinks, I really like this story, so I'm going to make a movie out of it. Yeah. Without much thought for if it would actually make a good movie. Yeah, probably. I mean, you look at his filmography, I think that does tell the story. It's like great ideas on paper, but the execution is leaving so much to be desired that at a certain point, I kind of just want him to stop directing and just focus on his acting more because I think that he's evolved in a, to a brilliant actor in this stage of his career. And I just wish that like he would focus more on that at this point. But, you know, he got those Oscar nominations for Good Night and Good Luck, and he's been riding those coattails ever since. <laughs> or be a producer. You know, his second yeah. Oscar is for producing a Best Picture winner. I, I think that mm -hmm. there are, like, interesting ideas in all of these projects that he does get, but it is something about, as you said, the execution that leaves a lot to be desired. And it is this lack of a narrow vision for what these stories need to be. And at least in the other ones, there were other things that maybe fall back on in terms of the technical aspects to those films, but mm -hmm. you don't even really get that here. It's just so bland. I just really can't get over how bland this movie is. It's almost offensive. <laughs> and it feels like there are moments when they try to like spice it up with some sort of, I guess like period filmmaking style, like with the crash zooms and everything. Oh my God. Those zooms got on but my like, fucking nerves. They, they come in for like one scene and then never appear again. I think I counted that there are three of them in the movie i'm i think it just like doesn't make sense why i agree so yeah bizarre. so unmotivated <laughs> don't you know that you're a grown-up I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Exactly 
life sucks as it grows up. All right. I think that was good enough. I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo. And for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. I don't understand how you messed this up. This is like the simplest, easiest type of story to tell. <laughs> like, how? <laughs> the other movies I can understand because they're dealing with wild tones like Suburbicon or too many ideas and too much to focus on, like with Monuments Men or The Midnight Sky. But this is like, come on. I see indie filmmakers pulling off this shit all the time. <laughs> it was almost like he went too far in the other direction. Like he didn't yeah. do if the other ones he did too much, he didn't do enough here. It's so plainly stated everything that you can plot exactly where these arcs are going. You know what all these motivations are going to be the root of. And there's just no other nuance there. And that is so frustrating when you're watching the movie, especially when the like momentum and the tone of this thing is just kind of languid, too. It just really is difficult to get into it as a whole. And I just kept thinking to myself, too, like this was turned into a memoir that got adapted into a movie here. And I just kept asking myself, what really was so special about this particular life that like that's all that this all transpired unless if the you know the guy himself jr you know the real jr is just one hell of a marketer and he's able to just like sell his story to people make them think that it's greater than it seems well i mean they even say several times in the movie he's like yeah i'm gonna write a novel and they're like well the market's leaning towards memoir yeah and so like is, is that the moral of the story that he like gave up on his principles and his dreams and decided to just write what was in fashion at the time. Like, I'm not trying to downplay his experience here. I understand yeah. he grew up in poverty. I understand he had a rough relationship with his biological father. I definitely can understand that it was not easy on his mother and having to fight your way to make a better life for yourself is something that we've seen in other movies time and time and time again. And we also see in life. I have friends of mine that I know in real life, people that I actually grew up with in the suburbs of Long Island, who have stories very similar to this, if not under harder circumstances. And I just don't understand why this story is the one that's being told versus some of these other ones. And I, you know, yeah. I think I think I'm I think that's just me being too close maybe to the material in that regard and like to like own life experiences. But still, I, I think the problem was that I walked away from this movie just wondering why, like, what was the point? Because at the end of the day, what is being presented here is so simple and has been done so many other times before that other than it's covid, we want to make a feel good movie 
And to uh, Dan's point earlier, we're going to put very little thought into it. We just want to make a movie, pure and simple. And for some people I, during this time, you know what? I get it. I do get it. And I think that's why I'm being a little bit more lenient with this than I probably would be otherwise. I mean, it's a coming of age story and those have been around for so long and I can understand the motivation to want to tell that story. But the the individual ingredients that make up this particular version just were, are not interesting to me. These characters aren't interesting. They're, what they're going through is like just so standard that we have kind of been very familiar with that before. And it just the way that it is presented to me was not engaging in any way. And I had a really big problem with trying to connect to the emotional journeys that these people were going through because it just never felt like the actual storytelling itself did anything more than the absolute bare minimum. Yeah. The only way that I would be willing to cut this movie any slack on that front, if like that was purposeful, if they're trying for to, this movie to feel like actual real life where there are lots of you know detours and things you know, that don't necessarily make narrative sense or that move in you know the arcs that we like to see in stories all the time right but i don't think that's what they're doing <laughs> i don't think that was the intent right it all comes down to that right what's the intent and did the filmmaker live up to that intent and if that is the journey that you know you're selling here I agree. I don't think that the execution nailed that. Uh, so final thoughts at this point. Anything that we didn't mention that you want to mention about the tender bar, Josh Parm? Uh, well, this is something that Dan mentioned earlier, and I just want to piggyback off of it, that the other good performance in this movie that I really liked is Lily Rabe. Oh, yes. Like, honestly, I, I could have had a movie just with her and young JR, like, on a road trip. Like, I just loved their dynamic, and – I don't think there's much to that character. It's pretty underwritten, but she just makes the most of it. And every time she was on screen, I was completely endeared to whatever she was doing. So I think she's another really great performance in this film. Very similar yeah. to uh, Ben Affleck in the sense that anytime that the movie is focusing on her emotional struggle and her connection to her son, the movie is very strong. And then she kind of gets dropped in that second half and... Yeah, that's that. I mean, that scene where um, she sees, you know, her father all dressed up to take her son to the um, father son lunch and just cries is so good. So perfectly judged and tells you so much about that character and who she is like more than the script does, frankly, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that I'm, I, that I'm kind of in awe of her. And she does it again later in the movie when he gives her the Yale ring, she has this most perfect, like almost quizzical, like reticent reaction. Like, I don't want to take this. I don't necessarily agree with his path forward and he should have this, but you know what? I did the damn work too. <laughs> All right. Uh, final thoughts, uh, Dan. Anything else you want to add? Or um, yeah, aside from Lily Rabe, the style of this movie. There, there was one point where the chronology, the internal chronology of the movie, got so unnecessarily twisted that I was not sure what was like why. Where 
Ty Sheridan is walking into his interview at Yale, and then they cut to the scene of him and his mom mailing in his Yale college application, and then it's him getting the acceptance letter. Yeah, I think that there is this weird thing that happens where instead of telling the movie chronologically and then we're done with the first half entirely, they kept on trying to find weird ways to go back to certain elements in the first half. And I agree that that didn't work. And while I didn't find it necessarily confusing, I do feel that it did hurt the flow of the movie. Yeah, it's that. And also, I'm just like... (laughs) I'm kind of over the use of this golden brown color grading to denote nostalgia. <laughs> it's a very specific kind of nostalgia, nostalgia for a specific thing, but it is that sort of warmth that people use as like shorthand for nostalgia. And the other thing that kind of that only bothered me in retrospect is like, you know, Matt. You grew up on Long Island, and you know your local bars there. I do. And Ben Affleck does not throw one person out of his bar for being a drunk-ass fool in this movie. No, they're all buddy-buddy, all of and them. that is completely unrealistic. <laughs> I don't care. It's a Long Island neighborhood bar, dive bar. I can testify that there are some of those types of bars where you have those people that are the locals. They come in, they know everybody by first name basis. And to me, to me, the most unrealistic thing, there were two unrealistic things about that. Not not what you just mentioned, but sliding the beer down the bar itself to somebody to serve it up. That that does not happen. (laughs) That does not happen at all. And then the second thing are how many of the locals were willing to cover their tabs. That also about And I'm like, yeah, no, no way does that happen either. (laughs) Like one drink, sure. But saying like, oh, I've got him for the rest of the night. Yeah, no way. (laughs) Maybe it's an era thing. Maybe that's like, you know, maybe in the 70s they did that in the 80s. But not today. Uh, All right. So for my final thoughts, (laughs) I do like Ben Affleck's line delivery of I'm not sick. This is Saturday morning in the life of men. (laughs) when He's hungover. I also really was perplexed by this moment where I, I don't know what they were going for with this, but essentially it's the cutaway to him staring up at Sydney's window in the rain, screaming her name. Oh, yeah, that was such a weirdly edited moment. Like, they were clearly going for comedy in that he's, Ben Affleck is, like, asking uh, JR if he did the stupid thing, and they're going to cut away showing, like, yeah, he did the stupid thing, all right. But it's such a fast cut, Mm -hmm. both to it and out of it, that, like, it almost doesn't register. And it's the only time in the movie where something like that also happens. Yeah. Which makes it even more jarring that it's there to begin with. So I think that just goes back to George Clooney as a storyteller. And I don't know, maybe it's like, you know, he's referencing something he saw and something else, but it just doesn't fit with the overall piece, if you will. 
Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, too, uh, this did get me to laugh, is when they are in school and the professor says, I want you to write a 10-page paper on the first half of the Iliad. Oh. And then the, the one student, his friend, goes, um, yes, which part? The first half of the Iliad. No, I know, but, like, what what subject? Like, what, what about what part? And then uh, he, like, says again, the first half of the Iliad. And I love his reply. He just says, oh, he's throwing down. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. That was, that was good. But otherwise... I didn't barely felt anything while watching this movie other than frustration. I barely laughed in it. I didn't even feel that warmth unless if it was coming from, like I was saying earlier, like Ben Affleck for me was the one that was giving this movie life, truly giving this movie life. And so that second half just completely bogged down the overall experience for me. But at the same time, I didn't hate this movie. And I think the reason why I didn't hate this movie is because it didn't take any risks. Like, it just plays it so safe that it's almost like they're trying to make it bulletproof from criticism at times, (laughs) you know? But in its attempt to not take any swings or any risks at all, um, it just ends up being this lifeless, dull affair. Uh, So I'm going to lean negative on this and I'm going to be also generous at the same time. I think I think most of this is because I like Affleck and it's so much. I'm going with a four out of ten. Josh, what about you? Wow, that surprised me, man. I thought you were going to lean a lot more positive with your with your review of it. No, you know what? The first viewing, I think I was a five out of ten. But upon the second viewing, it just is so clear to me what a tonal mess this movie is at times and how it lacks that vision that we mentioned before that George Clooney just doesn't seem to bring to this and I just like I said a second viewing just like really confirmed that there's nothing for me to really take away from this movie that I didn't already have ingrained in me and my own life experiences so chalk it up to a waste of time for the most part other than like I said the performance from Affleck Lily Rabe a few endearing moments here or there. I don't hate it, but it's kind of just there. I get that. And when yeah. I first wrote the review for this movie, I did give it a five out of 10. And honestly, I think I'm just going to stay there for right now because it really is just a movie that is so mundane in its execution. And so just straight down the middle that I have trouble like feeling a more stronger emotion about it one way or another. So like a four out of 10 is like a movie I would actively like not like. And I can't even say that I didn't like, I hated the movie. I just felt like nothing for it. It's a very, very average kind of a film. And I think for that, that's why I land right in the middle at a five out of 10. Dan bear. Yeah. I'm pretty much exactly where Josh is at. It's not bad. I can't say that I didn't, well, I mean, I can't say I had a bad time watching it. I mean, I can say I didn't enjoy it because, like, I, I didn't really enjoy it. It's just, it's just, yeah, there. It's exactly what I said. <laughs> yeah, five, five out of ten. And I, the, the interesting thing is that were I ever to watch it again, I could very easily see it going down to a four, maybe even a three, just because, like. There's nothing to surprise. There's nothing interesting. There's no layers. There's there's nothing in it that makes me want to come back and nothing in it that makes it 
feel like there's something to be discovered on a rewatch. It's, it is exactly what it says on the tin. Nothing more, nothing less. All right. Well, in terms of awards potential for the tender bar, they're pushing Ben Affleck pretty hard. He got a Golden Globe nomination for it. SAG nominations are happening this week. So considering that it looks like he would be the only nomination for this movie, I do think that Ben Affleck is at a very interesting stage in his career right now where he is delivering some of the best, I think, acting of his career these past couple of years. Uh, really, I think ever since... Well, I mean, one can make the argument since Hollywood Land, but still, uh, I would say from Gone Girl on, like, his performances have been really good, in my opinion. Um, and I do wonder, you know, considering that he was in the hunt last year for The Way Back, and now this year he's back again with this, I'm wondering if he's going to eventually wear down the Academy members and they're going to just warm up to him. It may not be with this, but I can sense that it is coming at some point, an acting nomination for him. It feels like it is, and it's especially weird because this year he was arguably better and more of a scene stealer in The Last Duel. Let's also and then let's also not forget too that coupled with that, the fact that like I said he's got other performances that he's good in, he's had some new tabloid exposure uh with JLo which everybody seems to be all for you know everybody's really excited and happy about that and he's been delivering some really introspective humbling interviews lately too that has only i think endeared him to uh others as well as he's owned up to mistakes that he's made in his career his personal life uh he's been very very open uh lately especially on this press tour in particular in a way that i don't think we've ever really seen him be before um, and I wonder if enough voters are going to, once again, warm up to that as well. Maybe. Like, it, it could happen, but honestly, I feel like it will go the same way that his campaign for The Way Back did, which is there's a lot of respect and admiration for him. But in terms of crossing that threshold into getting a nomination, I still feel like there is maybe just a tiny bit of resist resistance to Affleck in that realm. So I'm not willing to say that it's necessarily going to happen for him for this movie, but I think that this does just build up more goodwill so that maybe that project will come around where it eventually maybe will happen for him. Yeah, exactly. I can't see this project being the one it is so bland and unmemorable that I can't imagine anyone even checking his name off going, oh yeah, I liked him in that. It's more like a, oh, Right. I did see him in that, didn't I? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I, I mean, it's weird because I maintain that if The Way Back had come out later in the year, he might have gotten been able to squeak out a nod. Yeah, the fact that it was an early release hurt it for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think that next year is going to be the year for him necessarily based on the projects that he has coming out, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yep. I am, for one, very interested in the fact that he hasn't directed a film in quite a while. He has been doing a lot of acting, and I'm curious to know if he is going to return to the director's chair anytime soon. I mean, I know his last movie wasn't his best. It was actually, you know, his worst directorial uh, effort. But still, I very much thought that he was more effective in that zone than he was as an actor uh even though he has been surprising me these last couple of years well i had to actually look up 
what that movie was because I completely forgot about Live by Night. <laughs> yeah, I had to do that too because I was like, well, I guess technically the last directing job he did, like, didn't he cover some of Justice League at some point? Like, but <laughs> nope, Ooh, it was Live by Night. And then, other than Affleck, there's really no other Oscar potential for this movie. No, absolutely. No. no. God, no. So, that'll do it here for our review of The Tender Bar here on the Next Best Picture Podcast. Josh Parm, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dan on Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.